if only Canzano and Wilner had been named commissioners. That's what I was thinking. And we would have been just fine. That's Rick Neuheisel, and he's our guest on an all-new episode of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. There isn't anybody who is more Pac-12 than Rick Neuheisel. We decided that we wanted, we had to have as a guest this week to talk not only about the Pac-12 conference, but to talk about the Pac-12 quarterbacks, the Pac-12 network, the Pac-12 in general. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, why Neuheisel? Why is he such a... uh, uh, coveted guest for this podcast. I mean, well, certainly his expertise on quarterbacks, I think, is relevant for the Pac-12 this season. We haven't, on our podcast, really taken a deep dive into the quarterback play, so it's perfect to do with Rick. Uh, and certainly I want to ask him about how a lot of these guys project in the NFL. But uh, he has great insight into Colorado's rise. He was Colorado's head coach. He knows Washington. He was their coach, right? He he uh, knows a lot of the coaches, Certainly, his head coach at UCLA played at UCLA. So the guy is, uh, as as like you said, is as Pac-12 as you can get. And there's so much to talk with between the quarterbacks and the success of the league. It just seemed like this is a perfect time to get him. I think uh, without further ado, we will bring on the former Colorado Washington coach, the former UCLA player, a guy went who went to USC Law School, well, an assistant coach at UCLA. Rick Neuheisel. You guys are the, uh, you're the Pac-12, you know, the backbone. You you have been fantastic covering it and knowing uh, all the picadillos of what's going on and so forth. And like I said, you guys should have been the commissioners. We'd been fine. Well, we should have, we certainly would have been smart enough to keep you on at the Pac-12 networks. <laughs> to me, that was the beginning of the end. They didn't even know my contract was up. Yeah, that makes that that I cannot believe that. A lot of yeah. symptoms, a lot of symptoms for a bigger problem. It's a big leadership yeah. issue. We're going to get into all of that. You you are such a Pac-12 resource that I think we could we could talk about the. I've been booed or yeah. fired by everybody, so no worries. <laughs> booed, booed or fired. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but we want to start with quarterbacks. We want you maybe just look at the conference quarterbacks and. Tell us, you know, what this crop, what you see right now on the field when it comes to that position. It's as deep uh, as I can recall any conference ever being. And it's a microcosm of what's going on in college football right now. The vast majority of these kids are transfers, right? I had talked long and hard at the early formation of the college football playoff that this was going to create an exodus from the Pacific 12, you know, footprint. We're going to see quarterbacks leaving because the eight team, eight game conference uh, game conferences were going to have an advantage. And it played out that way. The ACC and Clemson and the SEC and Alabama, LSU, Georgia, all got themselves into position to have dominant teams. They hoarded the defensive line position and 
they attracted all these quarterbacks, the Bryce Youngs of the world, the C.J. Stroud. I know it was Ohio State, but they're kind of an SEC blueprint. Uh, they were going to get the kids that were going to leave California to come and be quarterbacks there. D.J. Uyunglele to Clemson. So um, it was just going to happen. And unfortunately, with that flight and the inability to transfer back, uh, we were in a drought, only two teams going to the college football playoff in nine years. That tells you everything you need to know about the conference and the conference situation. Uh, but because of the transfer portal and opening up uh, the ability to come back, much like SMU, you know, under Sonny Dykes had this exodus back to Dallas and got themselves back to, as a ranked team, the Pac-12 all of a sudden has this been this kind of come come one come all type of deal. It's been a resurrection opportunity for Bo Nix, for Michael Penix, Caleb Williams followed his coach, uh, and, and Shadur Sanders followed his dad. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are th the best in the business, and it's uh, it's wonderful to see, even if it's uh, a little too little too late. Rick, what strikes me is that there was a ton of hype around all these guys all offseason once they announced they were all coming back, and yet they're playing perhaps even better than the hype, right? I mean, you throw in Cam Ward's development, uh, and it's just a sound. Nobody has had a disappointing start. I mean, Rising is, hasn't played, but otherwise, of the guys who were coming back and you expected to have huge years, they're all meeting expectations or exceeding them. Yeah. And you know what they're doing? They're having fun. I mean, think about these careers. Think about Bo Nix's career at Auburn and the ups and the downs and, you know, the inconsistency and the questions that he's had to answer. And he comes out to Eugene and he just gets to be one of the guys on a team that has a bunch of good players and he's having a blast. I wouldn't be in a hurry to go to the NFL either. Michael Penix, exactly the same story. When he was with Kalen DeBoer at Indiana, things were really good. Then DeBoer leaves to go back to Fresno to be the head coach. And things have been topsy-turvy for him. Then he gets a chance to reunite with his old guy. And he's having a blast. Why would you leave? Especially with all those receivers coming back. Uh, Kale, Cam Rising, when he gets back, you watch how much fun and how exciting Utah will be. They're going to have a blast. This is this is a fun league that with with all these quarterbacks and the relationships they have with their particular teams. They they're in no hurry to go to the NFL. If you are looking at the QBs you see right now in the conference, is there a player you'd want to have for a season, a game? Is there a difference to that answer when we talk about who the top guys are for a game versus a season? Well. And, and if you took the next thing to a career, okay, uh, for a game, you know, it's hard to deny the unbelievable talent that Caleb Williams displays every time out. I mean, he is a man amongst boys. He is vastly more mature in terms of his confidence than most people on the field. And he plays with that swagger. And Lincoln Riley somehow you know, empowers that it's been too many quarterbacks, whether it was Baker Mayfield, whether it was, uh, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen hurts, all those guys, he's empowered to go out there and play and play footloose, fancy free and be great. 
be the best player on the field. And certainly Caleb displays that. But if you go to a career, this kid at UCLA, Dante Moore. Now, I've only seen him on television, but my son tells me the guy is a phenom in practice in terms of the way he uh, just adapts to everything that's being taught, that he, you know, wears the the miss fired throws he he understands his miss you know the things that he's not doing well but i think dante moore over the course of a career is going to be really really special yeah and for folks who don't know rick's rick's son jerry is on ucla staff and is up close and personal there's just a unique uh awareness for him just the ability to it's never too big for him despite him being young and, and fresh and and doing this all for the first time. If you could put on your NFL coach, offensive coordinator hat for a minute here, I would love to pick your brain on what you see of these top guys at the next level. And sure. which ones do you think are not, not, maybe not guaranteed first round picks or top 10 or whatever, which ones do you think are, you know, legitimate, multi-year starters which ones you know may end up may end up carrying the clipboard just breaking them down for us Let, let's start uh upper left okay what what do you think of Penix when you when you watch his film in the next level you know there's going to be a, a host of uh, nfl people that are going to say it's the system right that that something about the way he plays is more predicated towards downfield stuff so he would be a guy most NFL people will say isn't the little ball guy, isn't a West Coast offense guy. He's a play action, get the ball down the field, big, big throw type of guy. And uh, that's the kind of offense that I think that he'll fit into. I don't know if that's true or not. I've not been on the practice field with him. He does look like he just loves to drop balls in on those big over routes and all that kind of stuff. So that feels very much like, uh, you know, an LA Ram type of thing, you know, yeah. where you keep throwing those big overs and all that kind of stuff. Does he have the little ball? We'll have to wait and see if that accuracy holds up when you're just trying to hit your back foot and th- get it out of your hand. Uh, but, but there's no question as long as he stays healthy again for a second year in a row and dispels all that notion about, he can't stay healthy, that he's going to be uh, one of those, biology class frogs they are going to dissect every piece of him because the numbers speak for themselves yeah about cam ward who second is his second year at at the power five level and i I think he's made a ton of progress oh incredible incredible listen we always when we're evaluating people and we're talking to other people who are evaluators as well we use comps right you always look and say this guy reminds me of this guy and so you can kind of give gauge what you think the ceiling is for some particular player. When I watch Cam Ward, I see Deshaun Watson. I see a guy that just can put the team on his shoulders and make plays over and over again, whether it's required with his legs, whether it's required of its arm. Think about Deshaun Watson at Clemson and how many times in those great games with Alabama for the national championship, Deshaun Watson got an empty and was the running back, was the quarterback, was the hero. I mean, over and over again. 
And I think Cam Ward has some of the same attributes. And that's why I would be very, very interested in studying everything there is to study about Cam Ward, knowing everything there is about his personality, what kind of leader he is. But it looks like he's the the real deal. His improvisation skills are terrific. Which is exactly what Mahomes does, right? Mahomes yep. has made the uncalled play sexier than the called play, right? The the off script, the extension of the play. There's a play one, and that one gets out of his hand fine, and everybody kind of, you know, okay, Kelsey got another six-yard catch. But those plays that he puts on uh, a highlight reel annually that gets off script, that's where you're sitting there going, okay, we need to find some of that. And that's what the Pac-12 has right now, all those kind of plays. I mean, Caleb Williams makes them like routinely. Uh, and you go look at all these kids, they're all making them on a pretty regular basis. Coach, I'm I'm eager to hear what you have to say about Shudor Sanders in, in how he translates to the next level and what you see on the field right now at Colorado with him. Well, I was early on worried for Shadur because I thought it was an awful big ask for your dad to just say you're the starting quarterback especially at Colorado where Dan Hawkins and Cody Hawkins did not have a great you know ending to that story uh it was a lot largely a, a blame game as to Dan was playing his son rather than playing the best player. And I don't have any idea what the depth is on the Colorado quarterback room and whether or not somebody else should have been playing, but it was a risk to just say, I'm bringing my own luggage and it's Louie when it's your kid. Right. Uh, but no more worries. Shador's the real deal. Uh, he is a fantastic off script quarterback. I think he's certainly adept on script, uh, but he's done exactly what all these other guys do, which is run around and make plays. Uh, and for right now, without a defense really taking it away, save maybe Oregon, where I think they limited him to something like four plus yards a, an attempt, uh, it's it's working. Uh, but a fantastic start to Shadur Sanders. And I think the NFL has got to be looking very closely at what Shadur can do at the next level. I think Bo Nix is an interesting study, too, given you know what happened to him in the SEC, and then he comes to Oregon, one of those cases where you said a guy can find a new home in the conference, and then he comes back for this season, and I thought, gosh, does he have much more room for growth? And it looks like he he's found some growth. Do you see that? Whether or not he's looking for more growth, I think he's just having fun. The kid's married. The kid's you know kind of enjoying life. Uh, it's not under the bright light and the scrutiny of where his dad played there at Auburn. I did a couple of those games for CBS, and I think he has unique athletic traits, unique quarterback traits that are always going to get scouts to look. The question was, could he exhibit them in a way that where he was efficient, utilizing the traits to be the hero when necessary, but not playing hero ball all the time? where it was a 50-50 proposition once he got out of the pocket, whether something good or something bad was going to happen. He has been kind of lassoed in and understanding of what his role is on the team as the quarterback, and he's enjoying the hell out of it, and it's fun to watch. Bo Nix is certainly bodacious right now. It strikes me, too. You know, a lot of these guys are playing for very young offensive coordinators. You know, o Oregon yeah. – uh, why Ben Arbuckle of Washington State's like 28. You know, right. Dillingham is uh, effectively running ASU's offense and he's young. That 
Do you think that there's is that because they are relate they relate well to the quarterbacks or just the the young guys have got a different view look at or perspective on how to run offense? You know, that's an interesting question. Um I think what's what happened uh in this revolution of young coaches was the changing of how you coach in the office that started many years ago. I felt this when I went to the NFL, I was kind of a dinosaur, uh, leaving, leaving, uh, Washington for the NFL, for the Ravens in the early two thousands. The reason being, I was not big on a computer, you know, much of what happened in, in the world of coaching went to, you know, spreadsheets and drawing up plays on a computer. And if you didn't have great computer skills, you were kind of outside looking in when you got to the NFL. And and I think what's happened is a lot of these offenses, which are all fast paced, you know, spread the field, almost seven on seven ish have become these kids all grew up in it. Lincoln Riley's an example. He was in Mike Leach's offense, the air raid, and they're all disciples of this air raid. Ben Arbuckle's the same deal growing up in Texas and being in part of that Western Kentucky contingent that uh, came from Houston Baptist, right? Uh, that th- These kids all just kind of know how to do it on a computer. They know how to get everybody spread out. And everybody wants a little piece of that. And the, the old dinosaurs can't do the, the technical part of it. They just haven't adapted to that. So the 27, 28-year-old Kenny Dillingham, who was with uh, Bo Nix to start and how Bo Nix ended up at Oregon, uh, he resonates with those guys. I trust this guy. I know what he's going to teach, and I want to be with him. And so that works. Young, young is very vogue right now. If you had, uh, if you had the first pick and needed a quarterback, is Caleb Williams your guy? I don't think you can afford not to take Caleb Williams. Now you may find out, you know, as Caleb Williams feels and, and flexes his uh, notoriety and his power, his dad has already said we don't have to come out in the first round. Yeah, there's a piece of that where do you really want all that, right? Like, for instance, I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be with the Chicago Bears next year. I think he's fed up with the NCAA. He's fed up with uh, Ward Manuel. I think he's going to be out of college football after this year. I think he loves this team, but I think it's all but done. And will he want Caleb Williams or will he want J.J. McCarthy, who he knows will be his guy? Uh, that That's to be determined. But Caleb Williams is, without question, the most talented guy out there. D.J. Uyunglele, you mentioned him earlier. We're watching him at Oregon State, and you know he, he's had a couple of games where he's looked really good, and he's looked clunky at other times and isn't anticipating maybe the play being there and is waiting to see it before he throws the ball. Or what do you see in DJ? I see a guy that is kind of a relief pitcher rather than a starting pitcher, which means that he comes into the game and he's a fastball guy, and he can, you know, get you out with fast strikes and all that stuff. I do not know that he has all the throws, the ability just to throw kids open, the ability to uh, drop it over something like a Joe Burrow can, uh, you know, it's just the soft touch that just drops the teardrop throw, if you will. I, I don't see all of that in his repertoire. So if I were building an offense with a DJ, and as big and as powerful as he is, I would build it like they built it for the Florida uh, Gators when Tebow was there. He'd be a power runner inside. He'd be, you better pack the box, and then I'm going to build some play-action passes that 
are down the field that give us chances to throw that fastball or throw that deep ball because when his shoulders turn, it's the same as a fastball. But when you don't get the chance to drop your back shoulder and still have to drop one over the top of a linebacker level, that doesn't seem natural for me watching him play. So I'd build play action and uh, shots down the field and then figure out how to use his big body as a as another piece of the running game. And that seems to fit Jonathan Smith's offense anyway. So, Rick, what is for for fans who are watching all these guys on a weekly basis, what should they be looking at to see if the specific quarterback is going to be a success in the NFL? Is there something that clearly translates or is there something that does (laughs) not like, you know, I look at the the Brock Purdy situation, obviously here in the Bay Area. Right. I mean, for for him, it's accuracy and central processing unit in his brain. Right. Uh, Is there something that you think? Fans should look and at. remember and remember Brock Purdy had 45 starts and took Iowa State to the Fiesta Bowl and won it. Yep. Remember that that happened. OK, what, what, you, what you're looking for is not superhuman uh, attributes, physical attributes, because the NFL is full of guys like that. Right. What, what what the NFL when my in my brief three years in the NFL, what I really learned was it's still a league of overachievers. Unique athletes, but they're a dime a dozen at that level. There are tons of unique athletes that start in training camp. So what separates them? And how does a guy who's been in the league nine years beat out the fresh legs of a young guy? Experience and the absolute yearning to do it exactly right. To want the one thing about a coach in the NFL, you better be able to provide something that can keep him there a little longer. Otherwise, you're useless to him as a coach. He knows how to learn the offense or learn the defense. What he wants is some little nuance that's going to give him another year, going to give him another chance. So uh, the overachiever is still still uh, at the core of football. So what you're looking for in these kids when you're evaluating is it. And it's kind of like, what the Supreme Court said about obscenity, right? I'm not sure exactly how to define it, but I know it when I see it. (laughs) (laughs) This is, you look for the it factor in a quarterback. And then once you identify it, like for instance, Tim Tebow had it, but now would his game translate to the next level and playing all the positions? If it doesn't, then you, you, you can steer clear. You admire the college career that he had, it's not going to translate to the pro pro level because it doesn't have all the pieces. So I look for it first and then does he have what I'm looking for? And, and I think all these kids were talking with, with the possible exception of Uyunglele, they have it. Does Cam Rising have it? Let's say he's held. Let's say he gets help. He's on the verge. He's on the verge. He He's one of my favorite college players. Uh, cause he's kind of like John Wayne, right? He's going to drive right in and save the townspeople and he's tougher <laughs> than nails and so forth. Yep. And he's got that swagger and all that stuff, but alpha, I'm definitely not, an alpha. yeah, I'm not sure that he has all the throws and because of his lack of durability, given the injuries that have uh, kind of uh, mounted up on him, uh, he's going to be a mid to late rounder and 
he may be just such a great personality. Remember, he made captain of the Utah team before he was the starter of the Utah team. And when you do yeah. that, there's something it about you. And so he could hang around in the NFL as a backup for a long time because of that it factor. Like there's a kid right now uh, for Tampa Bay, right? But by, by the name of John Wolford, John Wolford's too small. He's, uh, you know, not overly physically gifted, but he played for Wake Forest and he played for me in the Alliance of American football. I got him out of Wall Street. He was headed to Wall Street because he'd been cut and he had it. And he had the stuff. He was so bright. And we concocted an offense that got him a chance to be with the Los Angeles Rams for the last three years. And now he's in Tampa. He'll have made somewhere around 15 to $18 million because he came and played for the Alliance because he had it. And there was enough football for him to hang around. And I promise you, he's part of the success of Baker Mayfield because he's such a great kid to have in and around your room because of how his acumen translates to helping his teammates. You are about as Pac-12 as it gets. You you go to high school. I am. High school at Tempe. Proudly. Proud card-carrying yeah. member. UCLA at college. You're in law school at USC. You're you know coaching at Colorado and Washington. Pac-12 network broadcaster. We've got to know what it what it looked like to you, what it felt like, what you were thinking as the conference was dissolving, disintegrating, whatever, whatever you want to call it. If only Canzano and Wilner had been named commissioners, that's what I was thinking. And we would have been just fine. Uh, the two of you bleed this conference. You report on it beautifully. Uh, you've got sources well-placed. You get all the information. This was not a complicated thing. And this is not to knock uh, Larry Scott or... George Klyovkov. Uh, I would call Larry Scott my friend. I, I admired him. He was fearless. Uh, some of his ideas turned out not to be great ones. Uh, it's no act and it's no secret. Uh, and we're going to wait and see about some of the business dealings, whether or not they were above board or not. But at the end of the day, uh, he took a swing and got got turned away. That they, I mean, we almost had Texas... Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in the conference. And uh, ESPN fought it off with the Longhorn Network. Uh, to not know that Texas was going to be the key to that and to, not, and to make sure that you have Texas lassoed was a mistake. George Klyovkov comes in to take the, the reins, and he's not new to – I mean, he's new to the, the athletic world. He, I know he was an athlete in college, but it was a different uh, landscape where he grew up. For him not to have secured USC for the future of the Pac-12 was a mistake. I don't know how much time and energy he put into it, but it didn't work. And when SC left, like Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12, it was doomsday unless you go figure it out. And then not to be able to impassionate or passionately give the presidents that were remaining what was the real marketplace so that they would have said yes to the deal that was offered was the colossal mistake and whether we blame presidents or or the commissioner it doesn't matter what we have now is uh, the ashes and uh i know i don't know about you two but i am pulling for the pack two to get all the uh the assets, because uh, Oregon State and Washington State have been relegated without doing anything wrong, and I'm pulling for them. Does it seem real to you, Rick, that in 
I wanted, I, I want to wake up from this dream. Yeah. I want to wake up from this dream. I'm going, listen, can we not just show the, the network czars who are the de facto commissioners right now? Can we not just show them what we have? Can we, can you not see what's happening in Boulder, Colorado? What's happening in Los Angeles, California? Can you not see Dante Moore and realize UCLA is on its way? Can you not see that we could add uh, San Diego State? We could add Fresno State. You could add SMU before they went to the ACC. We could have had all that and figured this out. Can you not just cancel these contracts and come back? Because it's ridiculous that we're without. And I'm guaranteeing you, Tony Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Tens, wishing he had Colorado and Utah now. But we don't have. Can you imagine a world where Stanford 10 years ago wasn't part of the Big Ten? Can you imagine that? No chance. That's how crazy this is for it all to be moving like this and for us to be leaving, letting this go. And, And I know the pushback is there's not enough passionate fans on the West Coast. Garbage. There's plenty of passionate fans on the West Coast. We have been left behind by college football because of the time zones. Christian McCaffrey didn't get his Heisman Trophy because of the time zones and where we he his games were forced to be watched. Everybody saw Derrick Henry. They didn't see Christian McCaffrey and what he was doing. And he's doing a nice little uh, reenactment of that currently with the 49ers. The guy's a special player, should have won a Heisman. But we didn't promote it in the way that it should have been promoted. And again, we can look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? The Comcast deal was on the table and we took the two for one deal and got bad blocks of time. Ended up uh, costing us. David Shaw said that he thought that geography would win in the end, that one day these teams, these conferences, the schools that would be back together. That was before the, the wheels came off and everybody bolted. But do you hold that same hope that the Pac-12 or the West Coast in college football will somehow, some way be put back together? I'm positive of it in the other sports. I'm positive of it in the other sports. I don't think this experiment will last long for all the other sports. We're going to be traveling for multiple days. I think we're going to look at ourselves and say, this is crazy. Let's just get back to regionality and doing college athletics like we should. Uh, I'm not positive of it in football because there is a movement right now to make Sunday football Saturday. This power two thing going, there's, you know, machinations of Clemson and Florida State trying to get off of that uh, ACC issue and get to the SEC. Uh, Don't think the Big Ten is not looking to see what else can be done, uh, whether they're going to try. There'll be a tug of war over North Carolina. it's it's going to be interesting to see what exactly transpires in that direction and whether or not it can be brought back. But what Chip Kelly said resonates with me um, that there will be a division that will be West Coast, and it might feel very much like the old Pac-8. Are you surprised? Well, Lynn, I'm curious for your view on Colorado since you were the head coach there and you got you won there. They entered after that, you know, there was a, a long stretch where they were not winning. Do you have you viewed Colorado as, you know, a, a potential power if they got the right guy in place again? Or are you amazed at what Dion has been able to do? Uh, I'm never amazed by Dion. I was with Dion in Baltimore uh, in his final year of the NFL. So I saw the magic that is Dion. Now, this was late in his career. He wasn't nearly the player that he began his career as. 
but he still had that swagger. He still had that panache. <laughs> he was he was one of those guys you just kind of looked at and get a smile on your face because he it was so natural to be this alter ego of prime, right? And he could do it and satisfy everybody uh, that came to see that kind of personality. Colorado is a place that is a interesting recruiting area. There is not enough talent in the state of Col- uh, Colorado to build a winner. Yeah, you're going to get four, five, five, uh, three star, four star, five stars, and you just you. So you have to go to Texas and you have to go to California to build your team. To do that, you have to either have have a program that's resonating and and doing a great job on the field so that you want to come be a part of it. Then you have to demographically pick the guys who are going to be interested, the kid, you know, for those kids in, you know, the middle-class families, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I want hunters, fishermen that, you know, the outdoors, the Rocky mountains are going to resonate for the inner city kids. You're going to want, I want, I, I need, uh, you know, it's safe boulders out of the neighborhoods, right? You're, you're safe and you're, you're, this is going to resonate. All of that worked for Bill McCartney, and I basically borrowed the blueprint and worked to get the recruits done. This is a different era of recruiting because the portal's open. And Dion came in there and was honest. You can be upset about it, but don't hate the player, hate the game. He said, you know, I ain't hard to find. A lot of you aren't going to be here. We're going to make wholesale changes. And they did. Dion's personality and his celebrity are being used to the max. And the, I could never have imagined, but it's not now that I think about it, I should have been able to imagine what ESPN, the only spring game on ESPN, the big channel was Colorado's a one in 11 team because of the celebrity of Dion. Not because Dion did great things at Jackson state. It's the celebrity of Dion Sanders. And now you get like, uh, all the, the Lil Wayne, uh, the rock. I mean, you get these, you know, A-listers from the pop culture that are all descending on Boulder. You get big noon once, twice, maybe three times you get game day and everybody's showing the flat irons. It's like you couldn't make that movie for recruiting. And Dion is the guy who's going to call you and say, Hey, we want you to come here. It's a monstrosity what's going on there. And what if I were Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, it might be the first time that I'm going to try to help an athletic director finance to keep that coach. Because Yormark has to keep Deion Sanders in the Big 12 if he can. Rick George already paid too much. He didn't have the money that he offered Dion. Now they're it's coming in, but the stadium's still what it is. How do you finance what Dion's worth? I think the Big 12 commissioners got to figure out how to do it, just like they had to figure out how to get Tiger Woods to play in golf tournaments. Is there? Can I? Yeah. Is there a copycat? Can you? Can you duplicate this? Can you? Can you? Uh, if you're another school, or is Dion a one-off? Michigan State right now is trying to get Taylor Swift to be their coach. <laughs> <laughs> if If Taylor Swift wants to coach the Spartans, where do we sign? Rick, do you think? Dion works as an NFL head coach. Sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? First of all, the the job of the head coach 
and, and, and listen, there are all kinds of different head coaches, but the job of the head coach is to make sure that the operation is running smoothly and bring attention and get the best players on your team. Dion has done that at Colorado. I don't know how many plays he's calling. I have no idea how many defenses he's calling, whether he's walking into the special teams room and going, hey, I don't like this kickoff return. I don't know how much he's involved in X's and O's, and it doesn't matter as long as he gets competent people to do all those jobs. And right now, at least offensively, that's getting done. I don't think they have the personnel to do it defensively. But they've gone from 129th in offense to 35th in offense with Sean Lewis and Shadur Sanders, those two, an offensive coordinator and a quarterback that know what the heck they're doing. Now, with all this publicity, he's going to get a bunch of players. So can Dion go and be the head coach in the NFL? How many offensive plays do you think Barry Sanders or Barry Switzer called when he went to the Dallas Cowboys to replace Jimmy Johnson? He didn't. He just put the whole thing together and he had Troy Aikman and Emmett, Emmett and they ran the same stuff and they end up winning. Dion can do that. I think he's probably more valuable in college because of the attraction of the player there. The You can't attract players to the NFL. It's done by free agency, which is a money thing, and it's done by the draft. So his advantage of his celebrity is probably better suited for where he is right now. Has the job changed in your eyes? The, the transfer portal is obvious. Name, image, likeness is obvious. But the job itself, is it still just coaching and teaching? I'd love to tell you that it is, but it's uh, it's a nut job job right now. It it it's requires so much attention because everybody is wondering, are they getting what they deserve? And they're hearing it from their their uh, their inner circles, right? I always talk about inner circles when we talk recruiting. An 18-year-old rarely makes that decision when it comes down to the end. It's somebody that's close to a mom, dad, the combination thereof, a coach, uh, a father figure, a mother figure, somebody close to that person that you have to decipher as the recruiter is going to make that call, and you got to be in on that deal. Who are the influencers, right? Uh, that's true now. For every guy on your team, let alone the people you're recruiting, there are influencers on the team uh, that are talking to every kid on the team about, are you being used right? Are you getting enough touches? Are you getting to play enough? And so that Sunday after a game where your star receiver didn't get any catches, I'm, I'm looking at Alabama right now. Alabama uh, last week beat Mississippi State 40 to 17. Jalen Milrow threw 12 passes, 10 for 12. Jermaine Burton, who left Georgia because he wasn't getting enough balls, is on that Alabama team as a receiver. He didn't get a catch. Who is Whether it's Jermaine Burton or his inner circle or talking to him, is this where you want to be? Now, he's towards the end of his career, but you can imagine if that's a young player. And having to keep all these guys happy – I talked to uh, Todd Monken, the offensive coordinator, who's now the offensive coordinator for the Ravens uh, at Georgia before doing the Georgia-Auburn game a year ago. They had to, instead of handing off fly sweeps, they had to pitch them. So it would come off in, a, in the box score as a catch just to try to keep people happy because there are so many players that are having their inner circles talk to them, you're not getting any run. We got this deal because of the tampering and the, the uh, transfer portal of availability and name, image, and likeness. I can go someplace else and they'll pay you this. 
that makes it very, very complicated. And so I think we have to have a comeuppance with this ever burgeoning pie of television money. We have to realize we have to carve out a piece of that, much like the NFL carves it out for their uh, NFLPA. They have to carve out a piece of that and say, this is for scholarships, whether it be just football or the entire athletic department, this is for scholarships. And we're going to supersize them. We're going to have deferred compensation. We're going to have insurance. We're going to have all this stuff, but you're going to get that. And then name, image, and likeness can be way more monitored than it is now, which is just pay for play and allows for all this tampering. But it can create more rules about who plays for whom and such. Uh, doesn't mean that the transfer portal will dry up. It just means it'll be much more uh, regimented than currently is the case, and we won't have nearly the same amount of tampering. Rick, can't, we can't let you go without putting you on the spot a little bit here. So, who's your <laughs> pick? Who's your pick to win the Pac-12, and will that team make the playoff? I picked Washington. I picked Washington. Uh, I think Washington gets Oregon next week. Uh, I think Washington. I know the Husky crowd will be in that one big, having been there and and felt that what that means. Uh, Washington if they play defense enough and can get a running game to go along with it over the long haul, I think has the staying power to win this thing. And I think if you win it, you're in it uh, in terms of the college football playoff. No one can argue that uh, the PAC 12 is that kind of deal. Uh, SC is certainly dangerous, but until that defense gets going, it, it, it worries me. And uh, they're right now, I think 103rd in defense and they were 104th last year. If you think about Oklahoma and they're getting ready to play Texas, Oklahoma was like 122nd in defense last year, but Brent Venables in one year's time has him 31st. That that we should have seen that kind of change in SC if we were expecting different results from their defense. We always ask a question of our guests at the end of the the interview. You know, the best advice you received, or maybe some advice that you received early on that that you still carry with you? What comes to mind when I ask that? Have another job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said today on our radio show that uh, Paul Simon said there are 50 ways to leave your lover. Uh, we There's 50,000 ways to lose your job. And uh, it you better be ready for the next one. But uh, I, I've loved my experiences in college football. I've loved the Pac-12. I feel horrible about the situation they find themselves in. I got my fingers crossed that somehow, some way, we can uh, put the band back together somewhere down the road. Rick, we cannot thank you enough uh, for joining us. I, we could probably do like a four-part series with you, to be honest, <laughs> on on everything. And we will we will be back in touch, I'm sure. But thanks a ton for for all your insight and and uh context it's it's just uh, a great le- for me it's a great learning experience yep. listening to you i appreciate I, it i have appreciated the two of you uh immensely you guys both do the work uh know what's going on and i think about the terry donahues of the world the uh don james of the world the john mckay's of the world uh and and what they did for the pac-12 the pac-8 at the time the pac-10 what have you uh i just imagine it's that you know like that commercial with the tear in the eye just this shouldn't have happened but if it has to happen let's learn from it and let's enjoy this last go round as much as we possibly can thanks coach appreciate you see you thanks a ton rick
I, I could have listened to him talk about quarterbacks for an afternoon. I had, I had, uh, I, I know we needed to keep this thing, you know, under under three hours, but it's like him talking about quarterbacks. Come on, I mean that that's that's gold. He uh, he quarterbacked UCLA to a Rose Bowl victory and is in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. And at one point, he set the NCAA single game completion record, I believe, completion percentage record, I believe. So, yeah, and the guy, he was offensive coordinator for the Ravens, obviously head coach at three different places in the Pac-12. He knows offense. He knows quarterbacks. Uh, and we should have him back on, but, you know, before the draft, that would be a great, he'd be great to, you know, ha- get back and we can pick his brain, but just tremendous insight. And, you know, he's coming at it too with the context of of having – you know, the Pac-12 is in his DNA, right? I mean, grew up, grew up he grew up in, in Tempe and man, uh, there's, I don't think there's anybody who has, you know, can stake claim to being more Pac-12-ish than Rick. Uh, and you can, you can tell how much what has happened pains him. Yeah. And I think too, the, you know, his sentiment about eventually the other sports coming back together, I, I see that as a possibility. And I also think that there's a variety of ways that if college football one does end up with, you know, a, a top group of 28 or a top group of 40 or, you know, whatever the number is, that we do see more regionalized groupings for the conferences and the teams. And, and I have to think Oregon State and Washington State – Obviously, they want to be included in that. I have to think they'll find a way to do that, particularly if they end up with the funds that they need. And it's interesting to me to hear so many people rooting for them to get the assets that have affiliations with other schools and in, in within the conference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. It's it's just being it's human decency in some ways, right? You're rooting for the athletes. There's a a lot of athletes and employees at those schools that could be in some ways disenfranchised by what happens here and you're rooting for them uh there's no doubt should we uh should we get to our picks here yeah let's do it uh let's go through uh, there's four games it's kind of it's a light week here so uh i had a really good week last week picking winners i was five picking winners not nice i was not good against the spread though i mean just picking the winners i was i was great but the spread i was one in four wilner one it was my worst week of the season i i rebound well, we got the four games. We, uh, you want to start uh, first game, and I think the first game is in some ways the most interesting Saturday, right? Washington State at UCLA. That's a noon game. Pac-12 Networks. In fact, Pac-12 Networks has got three of the four this week. The Arizona USC game is on ESPN. Uh, Washington State is a three and a half point underdog. The Cougars are ranked. The Bruins are unranked. The Cougars are a three-and-a-half-point underdog uh, in the Rose Bowl. What do you think? Look, I, I think uh, it's interesting to see UCLA as the favorite, a home favorite. Home favorites in the Pac-12, by the way, they win the game usually. There was something entering last weekend. They were 23-1 and in 24 games this season, home favorites. But this one bucks the trend for me. I think the spread's wrong. Washington State's a better team. I think they're playing with a lot of momentum. We've seen some... You know, UCLA play Utah, Utah loses to Oregon State, transitive theory, Oregon State loses to Washington State. Like, I think Washington State's going to win this game. and I, I So I would take Washington State and the three and a half and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, me too. Uh, they have played a tougher schedule, right? UCLA, very soft early schedule. 
played Utah. Obviously, the Utes have got quarterback issues. I just feel like it is going to be November 7th before we or October 7th when we finally get a feel for what kind of team UCLA is. You know, they had the three cupcakes and then they had uh, Utah and a, and a bye week. They're the only team in the conference I feel like I don't really have a handle on. They certainly had a hard time protecting the quarterback against Utah, and Washington State's pass rush is, is really good. So uh, I think the Cougars are going to go in there and win this game outright as well. Yeah, big Ron Stone Jr. game. Washington State wins at UCLA. Let's go to the next game. Colorado's at Arizona State, 3.30 Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Colorado a four-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you see there? Well, I'm just curious as to how Colorado is going to respond to playing a lower level game, right? This is not on Fox. It's not big noon. It's not ABC prime time. You know, this is like they have been relegated in this game. You know, it's Pac-12 networks and it's kind of an afterthought. And I just wonder if there's going to be this collective kind of exhale from the Buffaloes Mm. that because they're not playing a marquee opponent, and I, I, I'm curious to see, you know, how they respond to that, and whether they have the same level of urgency that we have seen from them so far. I, I actually, uh, you know, I think they're going to figure out a way to cover. That's four and a half point spread, but uh, I think it's a real interesting game uh, for how we should view Colorado going forward. Now that the kind of the luster and the the spotlight is off them a little. Maybe. I mean, I think you're talking about, is it a letdown game for them because it's not Oregon, yeah. not not USC. It's not, you know, I, I think Coach Prime will find a reason to to believe that Kenny Dillingham has disrespected them or that Arizona State doesn't respect them. I, I think Colorado's going to win this game. I think they're going to cover. I think the big thing is this is one of the few games left on the schedule that I think they can win. And if they want to be bowl eligible, I think they have to get this one. I think Stanford and Arizona are possibly the other two games if they want to get to six. So I think they have to win this game, and I, and I think if they know that, um, they arrive locked in. And I just don't think Arizona State can stay with them offensively. I, I think that it'll be a I think it'll be a fairly close game, but I like Colorado, and I think they'll cover. Fourth game of the day: Oregon State at Cal. This is 7 o'clock Pac-12 Networks. The Beavers are favored by 9.5 points. What do you see? It's a lot of points for a game that I think could be played in the 20s. And I I think that's an awful lot of points. It's a road game. I think Oregon State's going to win the game. Um, I'm not not ready to go official on whether or not they can cover 9.5, but it has me pumping the brakes a little bit on the the spread version of our pick. But I'll take Oregon State to win the game. Nine and a half feels about right to me. So I think they'll win by seven, maybe by 10, maybe. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'll take Oregon State to win the game. And gun to my head right now as we're recording this, I'll say they win and cover, but I don't feel great about that. But this one has like 21 to 10 or 20 to 10 written all over it for me. Uh, every Cal game has that for me, <laughs> right? That's what that's just the way Cal plays. They're not capable against good teams of scoring a whole lot, but they usually. Are, are do a pretty good job defensively. And I think to me, this is all about, you know, if Oregon State can run the ball consistently 
you know, five, six yards on first down, I think the Beavers are going to be in great shape. If they can't, it's going to go down to the wire. I mean, Cal has uh, won three of the last four games matchups in Berkeley, and and the game they lost in that stretch in 2019, they lost by four points. They play Oregon State well in in Berkeley, and I, I think the same. we're going to see the same thing. I've got Cal covering. Oregon State probably should win. I think Cal's going to cover uh, in doubt with, you know, 10 minutes to go. Last game uh, is the the lone ESPN game, seven thirty. Arizona at USC. USC is a twenty one and a half point favorite in this game. I I think Arizona is going to find enough offense to cover that. I think USC wins the game, but they win ugly as they did last week against Colorado. So I will take uh, Arizona and the twenty one and a half. But USC is going to win. Yeah, I got Arizona too. I just did a, a column this morning. In fact. This is the same circumstance that Arizona faced last year. They went into UCLA and won the game outright. Uh, they've got a lot of kids from L.A. They always play well in L.A. And I just wonder if this is a little bit of a trap for the Trojans because they got Notre Dame next week. They're coming off that huge game at Colorado. They got Notre Dame next week. Uh, I, I think Trojans are in for a little bit of a letdown. And their defense is... Obviously, they can't depend on their defense to pretty much stop anybody. So, you know, if Arizona can get decent quarterback play, I, I think that there's a chance this game is going to be in doubt in the fourth quarter. I just, I am, the USC's defense is a giant problem for them. Yeah, I, waiting I, I, over the several weeks when all the criticism nationally came for, you know, maybe after the Arizona State game where they didn't look great defensively, that they would rebound and play really well. And, you know, I watched the Colorado game and I was just, not impressed with them and I I just I, I don't see them beating Oregon I don't see them beating Washington I think Washington State right now would get them I think uh, I think USC has has uh, is the uh, least respected undefeated team in the conference right now yeah yeah they certainly uh, there's it's hard to see any improvement defensively even though they have upgraded their talent you just don't see how that's manifest in in the way they play compared to last year so we and the, and certainly the conference is better this year than it was and there's their schedule is tougher this year than it was so going to be a real slog for them to get to, to las vegas i think i'm john canzano you can read me at johnconzano.com that's where i'm writing exclusively now john wilner bay area news group you can find him at pack12hotline.com make sure you subscribe to this podcast Leave us feedback, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks, everybody.